Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. They go to the corner to Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. The winning streak is over. Scotland were beaten by France at the weekend and we are back to wallow in the misery of Scottish rugby once more with all of you. Thank you very much for joining us. As ever, it's David, Alan and Matt. Alan, how is uh, young Freya dealing with her first ever Scotland loss? Uh, absolutely devastated, actually. Once the game was over, burst into tears, shat herself, had a complete meltdown. Um, but no, no, good for her to understand sort of the pain that us three have gone through over the last sort of 30 odd years. And she did have she did have the, that sort of joyous, you know, first 10 days of her life where Scotland were undefeated. I mean, you can't beat that really for life experience. Exactly. I had a sort of a glimpse of the light and had it sort of cruelly taken away from her over the weekend. Well, poor Freya. Well, she, yeah, as you say, she's got to get used to it like the rest of us. Matt, how are you doing, pal? Yeah, not bad. At least um, Freya's got company in young Jura, you know, go, gone through that kind of roller coaster of emotions already in their short lives. Um, but yeah. Did we establish if Jura was a boy or a girl? think it's a boy okay i would have to refer to the original email i'm pretty sure jura is a boy i might have misgendered jura on last week's pod but that is just what happens in the uh, i suppose the high stakes world of scottish rugby podcasting so apologies to uh, jura and family so uh, thanks very much for joining us we're obviously going to be talking about 
the Scotland-France game from the weekend. We're also going to have a little bit of a look at Glasgow Munster in the pouring rain last night. Um, but before we get there, there's a little bit of news, mostly coming out of France again and Paris. Finn Russell has re- re-signed um, his contract at Racing 92. Um, I believe it's two or three more years. Um, Matt, he's obviously been thriving down there. Are you happy to see him sort of re-sign and stick in the the top 14 for another few years? Yeah, I think so. It's pretty unsurprising, I suppose, that he's decided to extend his time there. It seems like he's absolutely loving it. Um, and obviously, Racing have been going great guns recently, getting to that uh, Champions Cup uh, final. Um, yeah, so not not surprised at all. And, you know, I think for his game, I think it's at the moment one of the best places he could be. I think the fact that Racing is still challenging at the top of the of the top 14 and and the Champions Cup, um, and I think it's developing his game overall. Uh, so yeah, pr- pretty good news for for him and for Scotland fans in the whole, I suppose. Absolutely. And um, shall we chuck in some little wicked whispers that um, and a little bit of the rumor mill? Um, obviously, there was a little bit a couple of weeks ago. Hamish Watson was potentially being linked with Racing ninety two. He did an interview, I think it was um, Gavin Harper and Rugby Pass, um, where he then denied that. But we put out a tweet, and this is obviously high-stakes investigative journalism. We put out a tweet which, um, when they were speculating about when Rassing were going to make an announcement and it had a Scotland flag in it, we put out a tweet saying Hamish Watson to Paris, question mark, and the eyes emoji. And that sort of passed, you know, they they confirmed it was a Finn announcement, but then out of the blue, Rex Club, a company run by Hamish Watson and his brothers, liked that tweet speculating Hamish Watson. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm taking that as confirmation. Yeah, I guess there's a real breadth of motivations behind liking a liking a tweet, ranging from I'm confirming that this news is correct to you guys are complete morons. Why are you tweeting this shit? So but I think we just take it for what we think it is, which is confirmation that next year Hamish Watson will be playing in the blue and white hoops of Racing Metro. I thought it was quite funny the, uh, the, the Racing tweet when they just sort of said signing news and they just put a Scotland flag there. Now, to my knowledge, Finn Russell is the only Scotland player in that Racing squad. So I, I, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but it seems like it maybe could be a bit of a a bit of a tease of what is to to come, like something that maybe got the rumor mill going a bit or potentially I'm reading too much into it. I think this is like all conspiracy theories. You you take the information out there and you make it fit the narrative that you want. And uh, I think we want to see that little bit of spice, maybe Hamish heading off to a big payday in the top 14. Although, I mean, should we stick with the, 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 the theory as it is at the moment? But, if it does come to pass, how do you think Edinburgh fans would sort of react to that? I guess if there's one kind of area of both pro teams that you don't mind losing a kind of top quality player, it's probably the Edinburgh back row. If anything, I think we've said that there's almost you know, too many people available for the Edinburgh back row outside of right now. 
in sort of normal times. So I think, you know, Amish Watson leaving, whilst obviously it's pretty dev- it's, it's always going to be a bit of a devastating loss, I think we, we need to kind of create those opportunities for people like Luke Crosby. And I think, you know, for Hamish Watson, ultimately he's been a pretty great servant for, for Edinburgh over the last, what, must be at least 10 years. I, I don't think anyone kind of begrudges him sort of going away and just getting what is potentially maybe his kind of final long-term contract where he's going to make Pretty unbelievable wedge, I imagine. Yeah, and I, I completely agree um, in terms of you know creating the opportunities for bringing through these young guys, and also it would be interesting to see how Hamish Watson does in a you know arguably higher performance environment, or at least playing for a club where there's going to be a pretty high likelihood that he'll be featuring in the knockout stages of the Champions Cup. Because obviously, we've seen in the last couple of years, Hogg, Gray, Russell depart in a similar way and you'd probably argue that in all of those instances um you know the move their their moves have improved their game uh and and also it's kind of gets to that kind of difficult situation where Hamish Watson is away a lot with the national team uh there might be a lot of games next year like there have been so far meaning that he doesn't actually you know get a run out for Edinburgh that that often and you know with the ability to bring through guys like Crosby hopefully Bradbury can find a bit more game because he's definitely got a high potential. And then, you know, the young guys coming through like Connor Boyle and, and Roy Dargett, I think it kind of makes sense overall. Absolutely. Well, we keep a extremely close eye on that story and particularly the likes of the Rex Club boys. You never know. If, we, if you see them liking any tweets that suggest that um, Hamish um, is on his way to France, let us know, and we will hype up that transfer as much as we possibly can. But let's move on to the main bit of business. Scotland losing their five-game winning streak to France at Murrayfield, 22-15. They were in it the whole way, but yet it still didn't feel like they were ever actually going to win it. Matt, I'll come to you first. Why don't you give me your sort of your top line thoughts on um, the match from Sunday lunchtime? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Scotland were always in the contest, but I think it would be a bit of a stretch to say that um, they ever really looked like winning. I think that um, you know the the pack fronted up pretty well against a, what was a very strong um, French eight. And I think that the defence was reasonably good. Um, I think that when Scotland did get their hands on the ball and kept it tight and went through the phases, um, they managed to put France under pressure, which led to quite a few penalties being conceded. But overall, there was just a sense that France were fairly comfortable containing that Scotland team. And I think the disappointing thing is that, you know, Scotland in the end actually did dominate possession, territory, um, visits and time in the opposition 22 but never really looked like crossing the line, actually, um, which is kind of the the disappointing thing, I suppose, because you know we, we we have talked about this evolution that the Scotland team's gone through, but it would be slightly disappointing if we've sort of you know solidified the defence whilst kind of losing that ability to to score tries when you do have the likes of of Hogg and Duham van der Merwe and even you know Kinghorn in that in that backline. It's interesting kind of, you know, thinking back to sort of two or three years ago where, 
there was just that almost like standard template for the Tom English article, which was Scotland are great in attack, but are very weak in defence. And then you sort of compare it to the game game on Sunday, where very much, there's been this kind of almost kind of complete flip where they attack just. And I appreciate that there's a lot of there's a few factors at play, which includes a you know losing your two start your two starting tens and and also the weather not being particularly great, but you really sort of the attack for the majority of that match looked looked so blunt, and actually it the really. It felt like there were, again, I, I appreciate the conditions, but there was just such a lack of ambition across the park that it was a, it was a little bit depressing at times. And then at the same time, to your point, the kind of main positive was outside of the set piece, that pack, especially that second that kind of second row back row and, and Fraser Brown at Hooker, kind of in in kind of open play, just against a pack which potentially sort of the best pack in the Northern Hemisphere. Were really able to sort of step up and and really kind of look like you know for what was you know a pretty massive and aggressive kind of French performance. They were really able to kind of step up and kind of see them kind of eye to eye. I, I, I agree. I think if you uh, if if you add the likes of Sutherland when fit and Fagerson and obviously Russell or even Hastings. And I think also a bit of a mitigating circumstances was the way that, and maybe it's to do with Scotland's lack of discipline, but the way that the game was refed, I think, didn't favour Scotland. I think they, in the end, conceded um, 16 penalties to France's nine. And I think quite a few of those were marginal. I think there could have been a case for Camille Shah being yellow carded. Um, I was surprised that that wasn't even a penalty. Um, the France try... I think if that was re-examined by the TMO, there very um, there could have been a forward pass in there from Fiku. So and I, those all sound like kind of mistake, um, sort of excuses rather. But I think it's just to show that Scotland, you know, weren't at their total best, but were in the contest the whole time. And you know, if their luck had gone a bit of a bit, a bit of their way, then you know they would have been beating a France team that was, you know, that absolutely pummeled Ireland the other week and was one point away from winning the Six Nations. Ultimately, so I think there's been quite a lot of kind of gnashing of teeth from Scottish fans, um, judging by Twitter. But maybe we're being a bit too too downcast. Can't believe the people of Twitter would be um, unnuanced and uh, take a negative view of um, Scottish rugby. But I pick up on something you said there, Alan, about um, that sort of lack of teeth, I suppose, going forward. Do you think it is that does ultimately boil down to the personnel issue of um, of Duncan Weir at ten, or do you think Townsend's still trying to work out how exactly this Scotland team plays? You know, we've moved on from fastest brand of rugby in the world. Have we maybe overcorrected to uber defensive? Yeah, I'm not too. Sure. I'm not too sure to be fair. I think I, I do think that you know those moments where Russell was on the pitch especially against Georgia, you could see that sort of that kind of attacking pattern sort of developing. It still feels like we struggle with Sam Johnson and Chris Harris in those, in those centre positions. And there, there doesn't appear to be much attacking threat, both you know coming from them when they sort of straighten the line, but also in terms of what they're able to do in terms of linking up with whether it's kind of Dunkey Ware coming around behind or whether it's kind of 
Stuart Hogg or the wingers kind of coming into sort of the attacking line. And it, it does feel like potentially those players are being picked first and foremost for their defensive abilities rather than what they can provide in attack. I don't know, inter- interestingly, one of, what, one of our mutual friends made the comment that they think Sam Johnson's still living off England 2019. I don't know what you guys think of think of that. I, I, I do think he's been a little bit of a, maybe a shadow of, of that kind of 2019 Six Nations self over the last kind of couple of games. Yeah, I've, I've got to that argument. I, th- I think that, you know, the, the Sam Johnson that, that got himself into that Scotland team is, he was in really good form and he's such a great kind of idea, I suppose, because he can almost do it all. Um, he is a good passer. He's very physical. He can make, and he's good in defense and he can make breaks and attack. Um, you know, I think he tried to, to um, put a few kicks in at the weekend, which didn't come off that well. But so I can kind of see why he's being picked. Um, I think the disappointing thing is just, and, and whether it's down to his decision-making or, the strategy that is coming down from the coaches. But it seems like to me quite a lot of, and it was the same in the World Cup, actually, you know, Scotland have a a scrum that's won in a solid manner by the forwards. Um, it's a great attacking platform, you know, even just outside the 22 in the in the opposition half. And the the kind of strike move of the play seems to be just a pass to, Scott, uh, to Sam Johnson. <laughs> Not Scott Johnson, luckily. Um and and that's kind of it. And and that to me just, you know, when you've got a ca- coach like Gregor Townsend and you do have people like Hogg and Duhan van der Merwe and, you know, Dars Graham wasn't playing obviously, but people like him, it, it kind of feels like a, a slight waste. And I'm, I'm not saying Scotland should try and score from, from first phase every time, but it, it just feels as if Scotland aren't asking quite enough questions of the opposition defence at the moment. Yeah. And I think it does feel like that 10, 12, 13 in, in the combo in defence is, is working, but in attack, there just doesn't seem to be that gelling of um, of players. And I think, you know, fair play, when we go back to sort of the 2018 when, or 2017 when we had sort of Dunbar and Hugh Jones, there, there was, you know, the great thing about that was there appeared to be this kind of great kind of attacking threat, but too many times, whether it was Wales or whether it was England, there were just too many liabilities when it came to the defensive line. And we just don't seem to have found, whether it's the players or whether it's that combo of players, that can sort of satisfy both um, both options. It's, it's interesting. I guess thinking about the next game, you know, ultimately we've, not, we've only got one more game as, a, as an international team. Do you think they'll be making any changes in that back line? Uh, can't really see it to be honest. Um, I mean, the guys you'd maybe think about bringing in, uh, potentially return for James Lang, but I don't think he really showed that much at at twelve. Um, was I think it was Hugh Jones twenty fourth man for the weekend? It was uh, for the Italy game. Yeah, so so you know, there's potentially an argument that you you bring him back in, and, and obviously Jones and, and Johnson have played together at. Um, for for Glasgow, uh, but I, I, it feels to me like that sort of Johnson and Harris is is pretty nailed on at the moment. I guess if you consider we're playing against Ireland as well, 
where you might be potentially having sort of one. Well, it was Aki and Farrell at the weekend who are both pretty strong runners. You probably need, you probably be looking to have a relatively sort of strong defensive line. I don't know. I guess I was considering and you know sort of skipping ahead in, in thinking about the sort of Glasgow game last night and kind of the lack of depth they they have. I think you know Hugh Jones played for Glasgow last time was three weeks ago and it's been in this Scotland squad for the last three weeks. You know, ultimately, if he doesn't get a game in the last in the last game, it will mean that Hugh Jones has gone six weeks <laughs> um, without playing a game a game of competitive rugby when he's fully fit, which you know ultimately just seems like a complete waste of what is or what has been potentially Scotland's best tacking player in a club sense over the last sort of two or three months. Exactly, I suppose the. Um... I was going to talk about Jones there, but potential changes. It was interesting to see Duncan Taylor come sort of out of injury nothingness and straight back onto the Scotland bench, and he got some minutes towards the end. We know Townsend loves him. Do you think he will be sort of consigned to that sort of utility role, which he does fulfil extremely well, or do you think there's an opportunity to get him back in the in the mix for the for the starting fifteen? It's a difficult one because. Taylor has just played so many positions for Scotland and he kind of seems to fulfill that role for Saracens as well. So it just feels like, you know, due to that combined with the amount of injuries that he's suffered, there's just not been much continue, uh, continuity around him. So I almost think that, you know, if they chucked him in at 13 or, or 12 in the next match, it, I just I just don't know if that's kind of the the best step long, long term. Uh but then I think that I think you're right. I think he offers a lot from the bench and cover a lot of positions, um, and is a very experienced operator as well. So you know, I, I think him combined with someone like Maitland, who offers that coverage across the back three, or a Kinghorn, um, I think that that kind of makes sense rather than bring him back in. Yeah, there's been there's been an awful lot of sort of fantasy midfield going on in Scottish rugby Twitter this uh, this week, particularly since the loss on um, Sunday lunchtime. Alan, of all the players available for Scotland in the midfield, not least the ones in the squad at the moment, who would you be? Uh, who do you think? Who's your sort of fantasy Scotland midfield at the moment? I mean, I'm, I'm, good thing I'm not a slater. I, I I still like Matt Scott, but he seems to have been, you know, sort of out on sort of international wilderness for for a long time. I guess you know, it, it, I still think Hugh Jones brings something that no, none of the other centres can. And I, I remember I once put out that potentially they should, they should try Hugh Jones at twelve and Chris Harris at thirteen if they're so concerned about Hugh Jones's defensive um, abilities, which got roundly sort of screamed down by sort of the Twitter the Twitter masses. But um, it it does feel, especially without Finn Russell at ten, that without someone like a Hugh Jones or a Mark Bennett, I would say that we really do lack that sort of cutting edge through the midfield. Um, at least with sort of Finn Russell at ten, he just has the ability to either kind of hit the line himself or, or do something that will just create space sort of naturally. Um, but no, I mean, I think going into the Ireland game, it depends on obviously what Tooney wants. I guess if, if, if we're seeing this as sort of an actual proper competition, then 
I imagine he'll go for sort of Sam Johnson and Chris Harris if he potentially sees it as a little bit more of an opportunity to sort of rotate players then you know I would be I'd be pretty happy to see Duncan Taylor and Hugh Jones given a run out at twelve and thirteen and see how that went. I th- I think the other kind of interesting point is just you know if if Johnson and Harris are nailed on for their defensive abilities, um, you know I can kind of get on board with that. But there needs to be, and I think one of the criticisms is that Harris maybe isn't the greatest distributor, so a lot of the attack stops with him or doesn't even get to him. I think. Um, there was there was something online that said over the weekend of the Autumn Nations Cup there was only in total seven passes between twelve and thirteen, um, but fine if that's the case and that's maybe the way way that modern rugby is going. But when you have Duhan on the wing, um, you know even Kinghorn who he, who you know showed after a shaky start in patches how good he can be in attack and Stuart Hogg, um, and then on another day you have Darcy Graham. I feel there needs to be a way. They need to be accommodated into the attack that isn't simply, you know, shipping the ball wide with hands. They need to be coming through the middle. They need to be running dummy lines, uh, decoys, um, you know, like for that France try. But we haven't really seen that recently, and, and not to see that at the weekend was just, I don't know, kind of kind of a bit a bit disappointing, as I say, considering Townsend, you know, um, was this great attacking maverick as a as a player. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, we spent about 20 minutes there talking mostly about the, the backs, um, but we started off talking an awful lot about you know Scotland managing to front up largely against that pretty dominant um, and enormous French pack. Who impressed you, Alan, out of that sort of Scottish eight? Um, I think it's definitely the best performance Matt Ferguson's had in a Scotland jersey, and I think the great thing there is that we've been pretty, I think we've all roundly sort of agreed that from one to seven, Scotland have a pretty set kind of view on who the first choice is. And I think with that performance on Sunday, I think Matt Ferguson has sort of slotted himself into that number eight shirt, at least for like the first half of the, of the until the first half of the Six Nations. Because I think, you know, he's obviously played kind of the odd kind of good games for Glasgow, but in terms of at, at an international level, he's never really sort of stepped up as much as we'd hoped. And I think, especially against a back row or a pack of, of French, France's size, he was really able to get a good, good go forward ball, but both in def- and also in defence, was really sort of able to hit those French players. And even if he wasn't getting them backwards, he, he does have this ability to really sort of stop players in their tracks. So, no, I think that was really great to see. Yeah, I, I I agree on that. It's um, I think it it, it I, c- I could be wrong, but I think it's Ferguson's only Scotland game or only Scotland start against the Six Nations opponent. Um, that I can recall, I could be wrong, and you know I was just looking at him over the weekend, looking at stats and stuff. I mean, it it is easy to forget that the guy's still only twenty two, um, and and to be putting in that kind of a game where he's you know, carrying for 70 metres. He had the most carries in the team, um, highest percentage of dominant tackles. It was great to see because I think we've all been talking for a while about that sort of, um, that troublesome number eight jersey. And just, you know, if he's playing at his best, how balanced that back row looks overall. 
Um, and I think that Richie Watson once again had really solid games, which kind of allowed Fagerson to that that platform to to perform as a number eight. Um, I think you know the Thompson experiment. You know he's maybe a useful bench option, but I think Fagerson at his best is a is a far better um, player than than Thompson at the moment. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it was. Uh, I thought Ferguson looked really, really encouraging in that eight jersey, and the thought that he's possibly got another, you know, six to eight years in his sort of absolute prime um, is really exciting. And hopefully, he can grab that, grab that jersey a bit. Um, I thought Scott Cummings had another impressive, um, another impressive outing. He seems to continue to grow into that sort of really natural partner for Johnny Gray in the uh, in the boiler house. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, they, I think they complement each other quite well, and and I actually think I think there was a stat that said that Cummings has sort of started the last sort of twelve, thirteen games for um, Scotland, probably since sort of the since sort of the World Cup, and I think he just looks like he's. I mean, if anything, I think he's probably ahead of Johnny Gray in in the pecking order. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, yeah, that's an, that's an interesting shout. I suppose whose first name on the team sheet in that case is probably uh, is pretty close between them. And there was an interesting piece with Mark Palmer talking about uh, who interviewed Cummings on um, Sunday morning, talking about you know the work-ons that he's been that he's been getting from people like Dave Rennie, um, and something that I noticed perhaps because it was mentioned in this uh, article, his sort of lines of running. And obviously he dropped one, he left the ball behind on one, but it was really encouraging to see him sort of making these really dynamic bursts onto the ball at first receiver, which was a sort of a real change from a lot of our forward carrying, which is the sort of the real grunty short stuff, which is there's not a lot, an awful lot of dynamism, but he seems to be picking interesting lines, trying to run at spaces rather than bodies, which I think is a, a really interesting differentiator. No, absolutely, and it's, it's it's something I think a lot of Edinburgh and Glasgow players can learn from. 
And I also think he's really young. Uh, you know, we're chatting about Matt Ferguson being 22, but Scott Cummings is is only 23, right? And uh, I, 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 I think it is his birthday in a couple of weeks. But you know, for someone who is still relatively young to, especially in that sort of second row position, to kind of claim that as his own over the last years is pretty impressive. I think um, one of the positions, one of the players I was quite interested to see how they do was was Ollie Kebble. And I think there's a guy who played rugby with me and Matt at university who was like this unbelievable athlete, but just like didn't seem to understand like how powerful or destructive he could be as a human. And I sometimes think that about Ollie Kebble. They just sort of like lumbers around and like doesn't really move very quickly or like doesn't really make like that dominant tackles. You sort of look at him as sort of a specimen and you're like, you are an absolute freak. You should be able to like murder people all the time. Um, I think I was just a little bit disappointed maybe with the kind of his kind of overall, his overall performance, especially sort of maybe in open play. I don't know if that's being a bit harsh. I I actually was going to say that I thought that after the first kind of 40 or so, it, it kind of looked as if the, the intensity of the match was a, a bit much for him. Or it was just, you know, that like proper test match intensity, which obviously he, you know, hasn't really played at. And, and that seemed to be kind of the, the main issue. Um, and obviously the scrum looked a bit creaky. It was I'm not 100% sure, you know, whether that was down to, to one particular side. Um, but, you know, he... I, I was pretty confident that he would be able to hold up that scrum, so that was slightly disappointing. I mean, I still think like he's a, he's a guy whose whose work rate is really good. Like he made seemed to make quite a lot of tackles, um, made quite a lot of carries actually for for decent yardage out of that front row. Um, but it you know in the in that kind of game where it is more of a like a real battle up front, and you know his uh, his value is like that that kind of. Um, first receiver as a forward is not quite as valuable as you know holding up the scrum um you know I, I don't think sort of Sutherland's place is under threat I suppose at the moment no agreed I, I I'm also coming just thinking about that front row I'm coming to the conclusion that I think Fraser Brown will 100% be going on the Lions and I think it's going to be between him and Jamie George for that starting starting position at hooker. I think he's playing at such a high level over kind of the, both the Six Nations and the Autumn Nations Cup that he, that he really, he, he should be in that test team. Even with his slightly wayward arrows? Even with his slightly wayward arrows. He, he, he is the best, like, clear-out rocker in, in the, I'm going to say the British Isles. <laughs> Yeah, he certainly he's been extremely impressive, and he really seems to have kicked on. And I mean, Rambo was sort of left out of the squad entirely because obviously the the sort of unique brand of aggression and dynamism that um, George Turner brings off the bench offers something quite interesting. But yeah, Fraser Brown's really accelerated away from Rambo in in my mind, certainly in that discussion in the Scotland jersey. I will leave your. I'll leave your Lions comments um, aside. I, I don't know if I can be that confident ever about Scottish people going on the Lions. Yeah, I'm kind of the same actually on that one. Um, I mean, I could see him going. I'm just not 100% sure that he will. will. It's it's interesting with all three of those guys because they they have all come to the hooker position late on, later on in their careers. 
I suppose. Um, you know, all when they initially signed for their for their pro teams um, on those those first contracts were uh, back rows, and it, it does seem as if you know the first thing to fall apart in all of their games actually is throwing. So obviously Turner comes on and can make a huge impact in the loose like a flanker would, but then his arrows are, are wayward and that that feels like a kind of common criticism we've had of, of Brown and, and McAnally in the past. I mean, that area in particular certainly felt like if we were in the fight, one of the key sort of things that we had to win it was, you know, when we kicked to the corners a couple of times, the lineouts went wrong and it really felt like quite old Scotland. I remember the days where we were getting a little bit of physical parity and we would kick down to the five and Ross Ford would miss a would miss a jumper or something like that. And it was I think it's that sort of frustration that me personally and an awful lot of fans or other fans were were feeling that Scotland were creating the chances and sort of being let down by what seem on the surface to be quite, I suppose, basic skills in that, you know, chucking a jumper up and, and getting a ball to them is something that we should we should be able to do if we're going to compete at these uh, at, at this level, which is, uh, yeah, really frustrating. <laughs> there was also uh, um, an error on receiving kickoff, which is always makes my blood boil. Right. Always and forever will be a Scottish rugby issue that we, we will give away at least three points every game due to an error on restarts. Yeah. But rest, rest week now, because I think it's a Scotland-Fiji game was officially cancelled on, was it either Friday or Saturday? Yeah, Fiji have absolutely had one. That, that is a <laughs> zero games completed in the Autumn Nations Cup. Um, interestingly, I think they're actually um, still beating Italy in terms of points conceded there. Um, which I think is quite shan on Italy. I don't think that can be the case. <laughs> Italy only lost to us. I've only played one game and they only lost to us by like 10 points. Uh, maybe it was it. I, I saw it. Maybe as I saw it. Um, Georgia. Three the weekend. Oh, maybe it's Georgia. Sorry, Georgia, not Italy. Yeah. I was like, well, I was going to say must have a better record than, than, than Georgia. Although to be fair, Georgia pushed Wales relatively close at the, at the weekend. It's, uh, it's, I guess it's looking like it's going to be Scotland, Ireland at Murrayfield, I think. No, it's, uh, I, think it's, I think it's at the Aviva, um, Alan. But yeah, it is, it is a rest week for Scotland. It'll be interesting to see how that is used. I'm not sure what the protocols are about releasing pro players back because there's, there's two Pro 14 fixtures this weekend coming up. So... Um, Glasgow down in Cardiff on Sunday night and Edinburgh playing Ulster on on Monday night and you could think that both of those squads could desperately do with a, a clutch of sort of fringe Scotland players to give them a bit of a boost I mean Gla- Glasgow desperately need some reinforcement from the Scotland camp yeah, Alan, you were our, you were our committed correspondent watching um, Glasgow Munster uh, Last night, um, could they do with some uh, some spare bodies? I mean, yeah, but to to be fair, I mean the volume. It's not only just international duty that's killing them. They, in terms of the amount of games they've had 
over the last sort of two or three months, the volume of injuries that they've got to that sort of base of players who are maybe not going to start when you've got all your players back, but you would hope would be sort of available during the sort of international break, whether it's sort of Lee Jones, Kira McDonald, Stafford McDowell, Kyle Stain, Richie Gray, Adam Nichol, like a lot of these players that, again, all, you, you, you're really hoping are around when, when the sort of big guns are away. I've just kind of picked up injuries at a, at a really bad time. And, you know, whilst, to be fair, the Glasgow team kind of had a bit more, showed a bit more um, spirit than Edinburgh did against Leinster last week. It was clear, especially sort of in the forwards, as the game progressed, there was just a sort of slight golf, golf in quality. You know, ultimately that the Glasgow subs bench, it's just, uh, it, they just don't have that kind of depth and experience to bring on the pitch. Do you, do you think uh, that you know we, we'll look back on this period in a, in a year or a couple of years, and and it's a time when some Glasgow youngsters have, have sort of had their time to to bed into the team and and, and shine? Like, was, was there anyone in, in in that vein who who stood out? Well, they're not that young, mate. That's the thing. It's it's, it's like no, it's not a particularly young team. So. I'm trying to get the team up from from last from last night, but you know, in the back line, you've got Glenn Bryce, Seymour, Greg, um, Pete Horn, Sean Kennedy, all playing, who are all sort of pretty old heads. I think, you know, I suppose you've got you've got Robbie Ferguson and Robbie Nairn, for instance. Yeah, I was going to call. I I, I I I do still think I know Robbie Ferguson has sort of carved himself out as this sort of sevens player, but I I still think that he has scope to be a very good professional 15s player I think he he's such a great sort of natural sort of runner of the ball um and I think in the last two games where he's sort of been thrown thrown in he sort of showed up really well I think you know last with the weather you know Nairn didn't get many opportunities obviously he had a sort of pretty great assist for the the Glenn Bryce try and I think you know I've sort of we've sort of talked about it you know a little bit off the pod but I think probably the most disappointing thing for, for me, when you sort of look at the pack, again, you've got the people like Rob Harley and Ryan Wilson, and it just doesn't feel like they're really stamping their authority on on these matches when you'd really hope as these kind of ex-internationals, kind of older heads, that they would really be able to kind of take these games by sort of the scruff of the neck. And actually, it really felt kind of yesterday anyway, that it was people like Lewis Bean and sort of Tom Gordon who who looked more like the sort of 20, 30, 40 cap players rather than Wilson and Harley. Wilson started a lot of fights, to be fair to him. Yeah, it's, I don't know, like, I, I get that he's sort of got this niche as this kind of, I, don't know, I was going to say use the word ragamuffin, but uh, sort of like, <laughs> I don't know, what, yeah, what, what is a, what's a ragamuffin? I, forgot. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, and he's like, you know, getting a bit of handbags, kind of getting in their face. But I don't know, ultimately, when he's sort of captain and you're sort of down, you're sort of two points down with sort of 15 minutes to go and they've got a man um, in the bin. It's like, just keep keep the heads calm. You know, we've we've got the momentum, we've got the advantage. And then, you know, sadly, last night, Wilson kind of went, did a kind of, Dived on the uh, the monster scrum half 
and they ended up getting carded, penalties switched around, and they ended up scoring off them off the back of that lineout. So it was just a bit disappointing to see such a sort of shift in momentum from an incident that you know ultimately was sort of quite needless. I know, obviously, there's no relegation in the Pro 14 or anything like that. But you look at Glasgow's start six, played six, only won one, and got Cardiff coming up. You know, you'd think for just sort of like squad morale and. It, it feels like that could be quite an important match for them. You know, Cardiff, a team that, you know, they're in the sort of, certainly in that middle of the pack grouping of Pro 14. You know, Glasgow are traditionally in the sort of upper echelons of it. You know, going down there, it feels like if they can get to seven and two rather than, you know, seven and one, you know, if they, it feels like a really important game for Glasgow. Yeah, I think I think the one lucky uh, thing for for Glasgow is actually their group outside of Leinster and Ulster is relatively weak. So you've got Glasgow, Ospreys, Dragons, and Zebra, and I think I I still think that ultimately when Glasgow get the, their kind of reserve play, their Scotland players back, even with a pretty weak period over the Autumn Nations Cup, they'll still have enough to come third in that group. It's still not great, right? They're probably going to end up having to play like Munster at Tottenham Park away for the for doing sort of the quarterfinals. But they they do have that sort of a, a little bit of luck. I think that the, the sort of strength in Conference A is very top heavy versus like Conference B, the Edinburgh in where I think there's kind of probably not as I think Leinster and Ulster are the two best teams across both pools, and so Edinburgh kind of have the unlucky thing where you've got people like Munster, Scarlets, Connacht, and Cardiff and then Benetton, who are kind of on average kind of better teams, I would say. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. I don't often look at the Pro 14 tables, but um, you are right. Glasgow Dragons and Zebra sort of in that clutch of teams only with one win. But wow, Zebra have conceded one, uh, have conceded 244 points with a points difference of minus 146. That is going some, and we uh, we, di- we we didn't actually get time to talk about the well we, we didn't talk about the Edinburgh game on uh, last week's um, podcast because we've actually recorded the podcast just before the match. But Edinburgh, after me sort of chucking down a lot of the ch- putting Freya's trust fund down on Edinburgh being within twenty one and total points being under fifty one, I got at. My, I got ab- absolutely shafted by Edinburgh. <laughs> it, it has sort of, because of the, obviously we're in an international period and, and, and things like that, I think cause it was a slightly, if it was a Monday night game, it all felt a bit strange. Perhaps there hasn't been an awful lot of um, discussion of that game, but that I, I, I watched the extended highlights and I know you watched the game. One of the worst performances for Edinburgh under Cockers, would you say? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, it's you know that Leinster team is amazing. Just like how much class they still have, given the volume of players that are away. I think well, I was sort of reading that I actually think Leinster have got more players away on international duty than Edinburgh or Glasgow have. Yet still can sort of put out a team that has Devon Toner and Scott Fardy in the row and had Levy and Rhys Ruddick in the back row. At the same time, you know. 
Edinburgh did still have a sort of blend of characters that some people have experienced, whether it's sort of Bradbury and then some of these more kind of youthful players that you're sort of hoping to step up, whether it's like Ali Miller or even sort of Nathan Nathan Chamberlain at 10. And I think whilst I don't think anyone expected Edinburgh to win that match, the manner in which they lost is is quite concerning. And I, I, I imagine Cockrell was um was pretty pretty sour about it um post match. I actually almost think that Cockrell, when he came out after the match, was quite sort of neutral in his tone. He he didn't actually he wasn't actually too harsh on the Edinburgh team. And I don't know whether that's a sign of he's so angry <laughs> that he's sort of kept under wraps, or actually, you know, because it's such a young team and he knows they've been so beaten down that he's like, I'm not going to sort of say anything more negative in the press. I think he kind of, the, the turn he struck was one of kind of expected to lose that game quite comfortably. And I think, you know, he got off his chest afterwards in the interviews, um, how much the, the squad has been sort of ravaged by international call-ups and also hasn't really been able to, to strengthen much. I mean, uh, from what you were saying, Alan, this new guy Ferreira doesn't maybe look up to to that much. And I, I kind of got the sense, for instance, not to pick on players, but I kind of got the sense that Cockrell also mentioned the the larger budgets that the Irish teams are operating under. So I, it just kind of struck a tone of him just being actually quite realistic, and they're not being you know some things that he wasn't in control of. Um, but yeah, I mean, just looking at those tables now. You know that's that's three wins in total in in twelve games uh, for for the pro teams, um, and you kind of look at those wins, and none of them have really been against you know that high quality opposition. It's really not been a you know happy sort of period for the for the pro sides. Yeah, looking ahead, we've got um, obviously the eighteen seventy two Christmas double headers. Before that, Glasgow have got two games, Cardiff. And then the Dragons, so they've got a really good opportunity, you would say, to um, hopefully turn uh, turn that around. Then you go into European Cup, and then Glasgow have got Exeter and Leon before back-to-back games against um, Edinburgh. Edinburgh have got just one more game before we have the European break, um, and that's Ulster on Monday. And then they go La Rochelle, Sale, and then back-to-back against um, Glasgow. So it's a, I would say it's a good opportunity for Glasgow to get a couple of sort of morale boosting wins before they uh, they welcome the Premiership and European champions to um, to Scotston, which will be uh, a very interesting test for um, that site indeed. Um, Alan, I don't think you've got a quiz pick. You've been um, doing some um, analysis of the feedback of um, Amazon's foray into international rugby. Yeah, I was on the app um, sort of earlier today and I saw that <laughs> all the games seem to have sort of like five star or uh, ratings that you can sort of rate out of five star and genuinely like the ratings given out by like the general public are like absolutely savage, ranging from like one and a half for I think what was the England-Georgia game up to about two and a half for what was the Scotland-France game. Now, the majority of the comments are either A, the coverage the, the service in terms of like the actual kind of quality of the stream is really crap or there is a lot of people who are sour about the um the english focused nature 
of the coverage. But uh, yeah, I was looking at, I pulled out a couple of quite quite funny ones that I thought, for the top one was, thanks for nothing, Amazon, will give up and wait for Sky or BBC, dot, 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 and possibly cancel Prime. Does Gabby Logan know about this? <laughs> thanks for nothing. It's so good. Can someone tell Gabby? I don't know if she knows about how terrible. <laughs> Did you see you... The bit I found the weirdest was when, obviously, they're they're advertising other shows on Amazon Prime, and they were advertising the Premiership Football, which you know makes sense. Gabby Logan can talk about that, but then she had to advertise that like boys season two program and and describe it, <laughs> <laughs> and promote it. I was like, do you have to do this right now? I, I it, it seemed a bit bizarre. Does Gabby know about this? Poor Gabby, she's out there doing her best. She's, she she doesn't know what Jeff's got got planned. I know, exactly. And uh, the other one that I thought was quite funny was uh, this for Scott and Italy was, even as teams in Florence were running out for the second half, we were still subjugated to the inane myopic fanfest mutterings of Hartley and Flats, open brackets, sick, close brackets, and the ill-informed Miss Logan. If I'd paid for this, I'd been hacked off. Get the rugby back on the council telly. <laughs> <laughs> Who's writing these comments? What's wrong with these people? <laughs> so, mate, there's loads of them. <laughs> oh, That's my evening sources. But yeah, no, it was. Uh, it, it made it made me chuckle. Having Bezos is just like every day getting like an email through with like all the uh, all the reviews and ratings. Just reading through like Big Daryl from uh, Lanark. It's just like fuck you, Bezos. <laughs> Uh, love that what a nice way to end the pod thank you very much lads and thank you very much listeners for joining us Uh, you can always keep in touch with us on twitter at thistle rugby pod on instagram thistle underscore rugby underscore pod Um, send us an email the thistle the thistle rugby at gmail.com and subscribe to our newsletter the latest edition is out at the moment Um, that's on substack thistle scottish rugby podcast and you just pop your email in there and we will arrive in your inbox every single week giving you our unique take on the game. Um, but thanks very much. And we will be back to preview Scotland versus Ireland, we expect, in the semifinals of the Autumn Nations Cup. But until then, enjoy and we'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Here. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.